0: Thanks, comrades. Um, I guess just to um, set a bit of context, um, for those who don't know, I work down at the wharves at Port Botany where we're actually currently in the middle of an automation dispute. So I'm going to talk about that um, and some of the kind of history of um, automation and fights against automation on the, on the waterfront. Uh, but just to kind of zoom out to start with, um, from a global kind of perspective, According to the International Federation of Robotics, there's, um, this is actually as of 2021, there were three million industrial robots around the world operating, and 32% of those were in the automotive industry, and 70, uh, 76% of new installations that year were concentrated in just five countries, the US, Germany, China, Japan, and Korea. And that 3 million industrial robots doesn't include uh, 1,400 self-driving cars just on US roads alone, nearly 5,000 what they call da Vinci arms operating in hospitals for surgery assists, and 3,000 companion robots in Japan. Uh, People would have been hearing (laughs) a lot lately about uh, the kind of rapid rise of artificial intelligence, AI as well, which... Uh, actually is you know, long kind of developed in partnership with robotics, but AI is essentially a robot which can can learn and update its own programming based on imp- inputs, and it's, it's currently improving in leaps and bounds. So people might have heard uh, of the latest big phenomenon, chat GPT, a um, uh, uh, product of a company called OpenAI which attracted more than 100 million users within just the first two months of its launch. And some of the jobs that will be put at risk by, by ChatGPT, um, this is according to ChatGPT itself, because I asked it, it's, it's a text prompt. Um, basically you can kind of give it questions or instructions and it'll, it'll say something back to you. So the, the jobs at risk from ChatGPT include customer service, Writing and content creation, including news articles, reports, pro- and product descriptions. Translation work uh, can basically do real-time um, translation between languages. Massive amounts of data analysis and research, and personal assistance, which you know, anyone who's used Siri would you know, already kind of see the, the potential of that. I think the world of robotics, automation, and AI conjures up futuristic fantasies of either a utopia or a dystopia, um, which you know you can goes you know right back through sort of uh, literature and human imagination. On the one hand, a world freed from the judgery of hard, repetitive, poorly paid labour, sometimes referred to as fully automated luxury communism. And the possibility of a 15-hour week, for example, is one of the predictions made by social scientists. Or on the other hand, a world taken over by robots where jobs are destroyed en masse and human beings are relegated to a parasitic slum-dwelling class on the sidelines of production. But I think the essential question is not whether the technology is inherently good or bad or will inherently lead to one or the other of these... um, uh, you know, futures, but who controls it and to what ends. And as an example, um, I just think of two kinds of automation um, in my life recently. One is a semi-automatic coffee machine, which, while not probably being great for the local brewsters of Redfern, has definitely made my mornings easier and freed up time and mental space to write this talk. While at work, the introduction of fully automated stacking cranes, which I'll explain in more depth later, and which will also reduce the amount of, of work required, will not make my life or my you know, fellow workmates' lives easier, but will mean less shifts to go around and more work for the one person who's left behind to supervise 12 automated cranes on their own. Under the system of capitalist production that we all live in, automation is not developed for the benefit of all and it's not applied in a rational way to share out the work and share out the enormously increased wealth made, made possible by these leaps in productivity. It is developed for the, you know, for the profit motive, like all machinery under capitalism. And this, this part of you know, AI and, and robotics isn't new. As Karl Marx wrote uh, in Das Kapital*. Like every other instrument for increasing the productivity of labour, machinery is intended to cheapen commodities and by shortening the part of the working day in which the worker works for himself, it lengthens the other part, the part he gives to the capitalist for nothing. The machine is a means for producing surplus value. So in other words, that increased productivity simply means the capitalist can pay the worker their wage um, quicker out of the you know, before it cuts into the profits and the rest goes to them. So bosses don't say, you know, oh, that's great, we can make 100 extra cars this week, why don't you all take Friday off? No, they see all those extra cars made on Friday as free profit for them. And of course, over time, other firms are going to follow suit. Overall productivity will increase and costs will come down because less labour is needed across the board to produce the same items. And while in the short term one firm might be able to keep prices um, and profits artificially high, eventually the pressure of competition will push prices down. And again, while this should be good news for us, you know, it brings watches, cars, laptops, phones um, into the, the realm of affordability for everyone, the catch is that this lowering of prices eats into the profits of the capitalists, which was their initial motivation for introducing the machinery in the first place. And so they try to make up for this by pushing the remaining workers harder for longer, cutting jobs, stifling wages, and ultimately this trend, which is known in Marxist economics as the falling rate of profit, less profit for how much you invest, uh, will tend towards actually quite generalised economic crises. So I think, um, just to kind of go to the question, will robots take all of our jobs, there is no doubt that automation does have a job-destroying impact under capitalism, and that has been and continues to be a key battleground for unions and workers. But I think at the same time, we're a long way off from, from you know, a fully automated system without uh, workers. Instead, what you tend to see is that jobs previously done by multiple people can be done by just one person or a few people. Um, for example, you know, think of automated checkouts. Obviously put you know, a lot of people out of work, um, but there is still one person needed to assist customers with their machines. And in fact, most supermarkets you go into don't rely solely on automated checkouts. They'll have a combination you know, of, of people at checkouts alongside the automated option. Another argument is that you know the jobs destroyed will be replaced by jobs that will be created elsewhere along along the kind of production chain. Jobs associated with creating, running, fixing and overseeing robots. For example, more jobs in computing and software development, maintenance and IT. But I think in reality, uh, these jobs never make up for the number of jobs destroyed. And beyond that, many of them are in newer, ununionised industries, or can be insidiously reclassified as management roles. And actually reading about this made me think that at the wharves, um, IT staff have become like quite an integral part of actually running the terminal. But they sit upstairs with management as part of the corporate team even though their job is effectively a new form of maintenance work, whereas mechanical maintenance engineers are covered by the NUA agreement. I think for the remaining workers, um, the consequence of automation is the, the transformation of the work. Chris Harman wrote an excellent pamphlet in the late 70s called Is a Machine After Your Job? And it was written at a time of mass introduction of computers into especially white-collar work and eventually blue-collar work as well. But it was a transformative period where the computer had gone from this like mammoth machine that took up a whole room and needed multiple people to run it to something that could be fit in a briefcase. And so you can imagine just how like, fundamentally that transformed the world of work. But one of the points he makes that is that the experience of nearly all new technology is not, in fact... Contrary to the propaganda, that it makes, you know, it gets rid of the boring repetitive tasks. Actually, in this case, workers found themselves under more pressure than ever before to carry out these very boring repetitive tasks. And one example he used was a Fleet Street worker who um, was just using the word processor, sort of precursor to the current computers we have where it said, all the natural breaks you get using a typewriter when you change the paper, shift the margin, move from one job to another, disappear since the word processor does all these things for you at a very high speed. So essentially, you know, all those little breaks that came with the more manual form of typing were destroyed by the word processor and the workers were rather forced to keep up with the pace of the machine. The introduction of automation is never about getting rid of boring, mundane work under under capitalism. And actually, one of the primary motivations for capitalists is the, the de-skilling of work because the more that they can break down the components um, of any particular job and break it into sections, some of which or all of which could be done by robots, but also by kind of demystifying this, you know, sometimes very skilled work that actually managers don't, understand or aren't capable of themselves, they want to break this into a series of unskilled tasks which gives the the boss, you know, immensely greater control and makes the worker much more replaceable. If anything, capitalism is actually holding back the full potential of robotics because R&D funding typically isn't directed towards, you know, the elimination of unskilled, undesirable, poorly paid or dangerous work. You know, there's a reason we have automated car plants, but not toilet cleaners. The main fight, I think, from a socialist perspective, is not against the introduction of technology per se, and there's a few reasons for that. But um, I think the main fight is the control, is for control and the maximum benefit uh, to the workforce and more broadly to the working class and society. Specifically, some of the demands that have sort of been thrown up historically are a shorter working week with no loss of income, no reduction in the total workforce, no natural wastage, so um, natural attrition, um, and actually trying to maintain the the full number of, of jobs currently in any workplace, no blurring of old demarcation lines between different kinds of works or increasing work intensity, no new positions outside of union control, and written management guarantees that new technologies will not be used for surveillance and time management, which is another massive benefit of automation uh, for, for the bosses. The fight for the shorter working week has been a big one within the maritime industry, particularly in the nineteen seventies with the introduction of containerized cargo. So now all our cargo comes in massive shipping containers. This was actually like a, a big sort of revolution in, in how cargo was moved around the world. Before that it was, you know, hoisted in in slings. Um, before that it was, you know, carried out on, on workers' backs. Uh, according to um, some research done by our comrade. Penny Howard, who works as a researcher for the, for the MUA, in March 1969, the first international container service arrived in Australia and in the 22 years between 1955 and 78, the tonnes of cargo handled in Australian ports doubled, but the number of registered waterside workers was reduced from 25,000 to 10,000 people. So more than half the workforce for, more, for double the amount of cargo. It was essentially a jobs massacre. Um, but it led the Waterside Workers' Federation to fight for a 35-hour week, which was ultimately successful and actually entrenched in the stevedoring award, despite the, the government of the day directly intervening to try to, to stop this. So it was you know, a win within a, a loss, I guess you could say. The Australian waterfront has been a testing ground for the use of autonomous vehicles in heavy industry. Um, An interesting little anecdote I didn't know before is that the uh, Patrick's uh, Container Terminal actually worked with Sydney University researchers to develop the autonomous um, container carrier called an Autostrad after the 1998 Patrick dispute. You can imagine they were keen to get rid of some of their workforce after that fight. The Patrick-Brisbane terminal was converted to an automated operation in 2005 and then the refined technology was sold to equipment manufacturer Kalmar, which still sells us our cranes, um, and also sold to the the mining industry. A recent report by the Centre of Innovation in Transport found that um, fully automated terminals do not represent better productivity rates than traditional terminals, and actually MUA... Officials were sharing this report online just today. It sort of confirms what a lot of, you know, wharfies already instinctively know, which is that, um, you know, these massive um, terminal corporations frequently overestimate their potential to reduce jobs and they often have to hire workers again after sacking them. So a fight that sort of developed there is to make sure that there are rehire lists of, work, of the same workers that have been made redundant to ensure their right of return before new people are re-employed. Um, but of course, again, this is a sort of win within a loss because ideally you wanna fight the destruction of those jobs in the first place. But an example of this was the 2015 mass automation at Patrick's um, where they went from 400 wharfies down to 210 but within two years had gone back up to to 300. And in fact, about 50 people that were sacked and um, took redundancies were rehired within just three months. But my experience, and that's what I'm gonna end on, is that many um, maritime workers sort of over-rely on these facts uh, to say that we can fight automation sort of by letting it hang its own, own rope. So currently at um, Hutchinson, that's the terminal I work at, we're fighting the full automation of um, already semi-automated stacking cranes which load and unload the the trucks. Um, So this will take us down from three to four workers uh, per 12 who can currently operate 12 cranes uh, down to just one person to supervise 12 cranes. And we have a clause within our EBA that we, you know, for just in the the last round of bargaining and which the union hopes to replicate in future MUA agreements. And this clause prevents any redundancies as a result of automation and it enforces a 12-month consultation period, um, which are good things. It does not prevent the introduction of the new technology and it does not safeguard against um, less work per ship. So whilst they can't make someone redundant... They don't have to pick up as many people per shift. This creates what we call cancellations. We have to pay back your hours later for no extra money. And it'll also hit hard the, the 30 casuals that we have um, yeah, as part of our workforce. It's capped, capped at 30, so they'll sort of bear the brunt of that. But actually, already the company is now arguing that this isn't automation, it's only a software upgrade comparable to upgrading your iPhone. And they're arguing this point in the Fair Work Commission, we're we're waiting on the outcome of that, whether they actually have to follow this clause or not. But meanwhile, they've wasted no time creating facts on the ground, they're implementing the new technology, doing enormous amounts of testing and actually using us to facilitate that in various ways, whether it's, you know, emptying out areas where, where they're doing the testing and that sort of thing. And really we should be using industrial action to refuse to, to do any of that. We could, pretty much, we could easily stop them doing the testing if we refuse to cooperate. But you know, the current industrial laws and the unwillingness of the union to break those laws um, means that we haven't done that. It is highly likely that these new automated cranes will not work very well, certainly not um, as they're predicted to. Um, and meetings we've been in, we can already see, you know, weather conditions, certain kinds of trucks and trailers, bad parking, um, wrong containers, like the the cranes can't read the container numbers, this sort of thing will mean that, you know, at times they probably will have to bring in extra people or things will really, really slow down a lot. Um, And just this week, our entire terminal actually ground to a halt for several hours due to one faulty switch. And truck loading operations were down for 24 hours. Um, So you can see that a terminal dependent on computers and robots instead of humans has certain vulnerabilities. But I think while a switch may blow out, it doesn't go on strike. It doesn't argue back. It doesn't need fatigue management or take sickies or demand safety precautions or a pay rise. And companies will wear these costs even when they come at the expense of productivity in the short term if they can take control of a unionised workforce and reduce fixed labour costs, which they see as a drain, as opposed to enormous capital expenses, which they see as an investment. Ultimately, the fight over all these technologies is a fight for control, power and equal distribution of the benefits and wealth for the many and not the few. But I just wanted to give the last word to uh, ChatGPT, who I asked for its thoughts on some of these topics. It said that the current economic system of capitalism is based on the pursuit of profit and private ownership and has been criticised for perpetuating inequalities. The integration of AI into this system could exacerbate these problems, if not carefully managed technology is not inherently good or bad but rather a tool that can be used for a variety of purposes depending on who controls it and for what purposes it is deployed so i think it's up to us to to fight for that control thanks comrades